So I just want to say hello to everybody and welcome to our panel on sustainable banking and investing. My name is Ryan Hagen, and I'll be your host alongside Rachel Taylor. Hi. For those who don't know, we are Crowdsourcing Sustainability's director and community weaver, respectively. And today we are lucky to be joined by an all-star panel to talk about sustainable banking and investing for both people and organizations. We're going to start with some quick intros here and then dive right into it for about an hour, uh, followed by 15 minutes of Q&A at the end. So please do put your questions uh, when they pop up along the way, put them in the chat. Um, and also feel free to introduce yourself in the chat. We, we love that. Um, and we also love knowing where people are from and, you know, what brought you here today. So there's all sorts of connections that can, can happen in the chat as well. Um, yeah, I'm going to turn over to Rachel for some intros. Awesome. Yeah, we are really excited about this group of people and experts that we have with us today. So Andrew Behar is the CEO of As You Sow, the nation's leading nonprofit practitioner of shareholder advocacy and engagement. He has a 30-year track record of success. He's been working on this for a long time. Uh, and As You Sow advances values-aligned investing and uses shareholder power to compel companies to reduce material risk on issues including climate change and a host of other critical environmental and social issues. Andrew is also on the board of the Responsible Sourcing Network and the author of the Shareholders Action Guide, Unleash Your Hidden Powers to Hold Corporations Accountable. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks for being with us. We've got Vanessa Fajans-Turner, and Vanessa is a climate enthusiast and ocean enthusiast. She's the executive director of Bank Forward, an organization accelerating climate action in the banking sector, and recently contributed to the Carbon Bankroll Report, which is a really fantastic read. She's a principal with Investable Oceans, a fundraising platform for sustainable ocean startups, and an advisor to the city of Ithaca's nation-leading Green New Deal and much more. And then we've got Ravi Mickelson, and Ravi is the co-founder and CEO of Atmos Financial, where he works to transform every bank into a climate bank. Ravi has been working in clean energy since 2000, when he had a moment of epiphany that his mission in life is to move the world off fossil fuels. He switched from energy generation to finance in 2015 in order to help scale low capital deployment into the trillions needed to stop climate change. Thank you all so much for being with us today. Thanks for having us. And before we dive in, I just want to share a couple just high level pieces of info that I think will really help put this conversation in perspective. Um, according to Project Drawdown and the Climate Policy Initiative, the world needs to invest somewhere between four and $5 trillion every year into climate solutions to limit heating to 1.5 or 2 degrees. In 2020, we only invested $665 billion into climate solutions. In 2021, that ticked up to about $900 billion. So we still need to invest about five times more into climate solutions every year than we're currently doing. Uh, meanwhile, the IMF estimates that the world gives about $5.9 trillion in fossil fuel subsidies, both direct and indirect every year and banks have still lent trillions of dollars to the fossil fuel industry since the Paris Agreement was signed. 
Um, so that's just a little perspective. And, you know, as individuals and employees, uh, we need to do what we can to make sure our money and our employer's money supports climate solutions instead of climate collapse. Um, and that's really what the purpose of this panel is today. We want to help you understand these things. It's not like financial advice or anything, um, but we think we have the the perfect panel to really walk through the impact of our money uh, and how we can make that more sustainable. So the first question, we're going to start with Vanessa, but it's really for everyone. And it's about understanding the status quo and its impact. Um, so Vanessa, can you walk us through how our cash and investments flow through the financial system right now to support fossil fuels? Like, how does that work and, and what's the impact? Absolutely. First of all, thanks for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here with Ravi and Andy. Um, we start from the basis that the assumption we often hold that money and cash especially is a neutral element in the climate fight is actually not true. And I would posit it is actually often the money we have sitting in our banks as cash that contributes to the largest percentage of our personal and potentially corporate footprints as well. When we deposit cash into a bank, we think it just stays there statically, but it's actually added to the balance sheet of a bank's overall wealth. And with that money, they use that wealth to underwrite, finance, lend money to other entities from which they charge interest and make sometimes more money than they do in other aspects of their banking activities. This means that the cash we deposit in banks contributes to the collateral banks use to finance things like fossil fuels. So our cash is actually indirectly and directly supporting money that goes to fossil fuel companies to not only continue building existing fossil fuel infrastructure, but also to build new uh, fossil fuel entities, uh, what we call fossil fuel expansion, that will not come online for sometimes 5, 10, 15 years, and then create a loan that will have to be repaid, creating yet more incentives to ensure that we keep turning on new fossil fuel sources into the future well beyond when our carbon budget is expired. So what we think about, uh, you referenced our carbon bubble report that we were proud to publish with the Outdoor Policy Outfit and our good colleague, Paul Moynister, as well as the Climate Safe Lending Network and um, the excellent leader, James Vaccaro. The report basically finds that the cash entities have, uh, corporates have in their banks is often the most, uh, the largest source of their carbon emissions. Not always, but it can be, uh, it can be one of, if not the largest source of carbon emissions overall. Some banks have higher rates of financing for fossil fuels, but the major Wall Street banks lend about 24 out of every $100 to carbon intensive projects. Think about that. That's 25% of your assets sitting in a bank passively, you think, actually financing fossil fuels. So if you give 1% or 5% of your wealth to a climate project, 
the rest of your money sitting in a bank is actually undermining that act that you've taken by a factor of five or more. Um, I can stop there um, and I'll clarify, I think I misspoke the name of our report, the carbon bankroll report, um, but I uh, that built on the carbon bubble report. Um, but I will stop there and um, pass it to some of those who have provided alternatives like Ravi, perhaps. <laughs> nice segue. Uh, yeah, thanks for that. Um, excuse me, everyone. What most people don't understand is when we think about climate change and the impacts that we can have uh, on this transition, everyone thinks about going solar, buying an EV, some of the big uh, very technical salute, which are the solutions to climate change is changing the infrastructure. Uh, and capital uh, is terms, I think, really neatly by Project Drawdown. And what we use now is a climate accelerant. So we are an accelerant to the solution. So it's not a blocker uh, to any one technology, but by changing how we use and what capital we use, uh, <laughs> To finance this infrastructure change, we can actually accelerate this transition. And one of the highest leverage activities that pretty much everyone can make is moving their money. It's a very low cost thing. It takes just a few minutes to you know, apply for an account with Atmos. And then we can make it simple. Just move over your savings if you have it. So you don't need to move over everything, change your Netflix you know, payment, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, every dollar that gets moved is then is is will be funding clean energy instead of the fossil equivalent. Uh, so it needs to be easy. And why we want to transform every every conventional bank into a climate bank is that the vast majority of what's needed to stop climate change is infrastructure change and how infrastructure is financed is primarily with bank loans it's mortgages it's whether it's commercial or residential it's the vehicles that we drive it's the power plants and those banks the 60,000 banks and credit unions globally hold roughly 200 trillion dollars of our money so why not we should have a say in that and so by giving the services and the technology to these banks uh we can help them shift where their money goes because they don't have the resources to do it on their own. Uh, so that's what we're doing. So, uh, and we rather than try to be the, the biggest green bank in the world, because even if we got to $2 trillion, that's still 1% of the global banking system. And any bank or credit union, they cannot put 100% of their money towards this. They have to have a diversified portfolio so you're going to need hundreds or even thousands of banks to make up this number. Thanks, Ravi. Uh, Andy, do you have anything to add on this, on how our cash investments are flowing into to fossil fuels? Yeah, there's also this invisible, um, all of our investments, basically. Um, very few people understand what the, where their 401k plan goes or 403b plan, their retirement plan through either their company or through if you work at a university, for instance. And there's about a, it's about ten trillion dollars in assets held by 100 million people, and most people don't have a clue that they are invested in, well, an unlivable planet. I mean, you, you're putting away five percent of your 
you know, your paycheck every week into this fund, you're handing it to a fiduciary to invest it. Uh, but what they're investing it in is oil, gas, deforestation, as well as private prisons, uh, gender inequality, uh, weapons. So if you actually knew what where your money was going, it is so out of alignment with your values. Now, we've done a lot of polling and we found 99% of millennials want to invest sustainably, and yet practically none are because the companies force you into what are called target date funds that are funds of funds. And those funds, they hold cash. They also hold bonds. They also hold all kinds of different stocks. Uh, but it's nothing, it's not aligned with actually having a livable planet or any of the things that people actually believe in. So it's uh, it's really finding out the fact that you have so much more power than you could possibly imagine. Uh, most people, they ab abdicate their power without knowing they even have power. And so part of what we try to do is to educate people so they can know, well, this is my money and it's being put into exactly the opposite of what I want. And I'm going to do something about it. And there's a lot of things you can do. And, you know, we'll talk more about it later, but essentially um, you, know, you can move your money within your 401k plan very easily. We, we have a whole platform called invest your values at investyourvalues.org. And you can go and you can look up your 401k plan. We'll show you exactly every single company you're invested in all we're just adding bonds actually in the next month or two so you can actually get a sense and for instance if you work at amazon you might say gosh you know our company's great we're buying a hundred thousand electric vehicles yeah but every person who works at amazon owns companies burning down the amazon you just aren't aware of it so we've been filing shareholder resolutions with amazon comcast microsoft uh, i think we just did netflix um to try to get people to realize that they actually have amazing amount of power. They just haven't figured out how to use it. And we have all kinds of tools on the site uh, so that people can use it, can organize, can uh, we give you template letters to send to your peers, template letters to send to your 401k administrator, uh, all that kind of thing. Because ultimately, if 100 employees go to their HR department and go, look, there's nothing for us to invest in here because we don't want to be in all this fossil fuels. They're going to have to offer you something that aligns with your values. So there are trillions of dollars that can be moved into uh, clean energy, into companies that are actually have a lot less risk because the companies, we just put out a report last week called the Clean 200. We look at the 200 companies globally across the world that are making the most revenue from clean and green energy. And if you put your money into those, these are companies that are going to be thriving in the next, well, they're already, first of all, the Clean 200 beats all the other benchmarks. We've been we've been tracking this since 2016. We just put out our ninth report. Um, but investing in companies that have essentially the extractive economy is winding down. The internal combustion is obsolete. So you want to put your money into companies that are going to be taking advantage of this and are going to be growing into the future as opposed to all the risk associated with staying in the extractive economy. It's right now we are all invested. It's, it's 1909 and we're all investing in buggies, um, you know, horse and buggies unbeknownst to us when, when I guess it's not a good analogy because we don't want to be investing in cars, but you get my point that we're investing in obsolete technology. So I'll, I'll pause there and we can get into much more detail later. Mm, that's fantastic. Thank you all.
so much. Um, and just a couple of follow-ups on what you've all been framing up for us. Um, one, and specifically for Andy, maybe like what percent of people's cash and investments goes towards fossil fuels? So if you look at most of the target date funds, and by the way, just I should define that a target date fund, these are the funds, they're funds of funds. So it's a fund with say 12 other mutual funds within it. And you pick a date. So you start work and let's say that you're, um, let's say you're 30 years old. So it's, what is it, 2023? So you would pick a 2060 target date fund, which means you're in mostly equities now, riskier. And as you get older, it shifts to more bonds and more bonds and more bonds till you're about to retire in 2060. You're, you're, you've got, you know, like 60% bonds. So supposedly, you know, bonds are safer, less volatility. So it really depends on how old you are and what year your target date fund is to say what percentage. But generally, um, in a general index uh, is usually about 8% energy. Um, and that fluctuates, uh, you know, right now with oil peaking, you know, just due to the um, genocidal aggression happening, um, you know, in Russia against Ukraine, that's pushed the price of oil so high, uh, you're, you're going to see uh, probably a little bit higher than that because you know, people are shifting money in and trying to take advantage of that. Although buying in right now, you're at a high, you're in a bubble. And so there's a lot of money flowing into that area that's probably going to be uh, losing a, lo a lot of its value pretty rapidly. So, but it's somewhere in that, in that area, that's considered like a normal um, you know, diversification. Maybe... So just jump in there really fast to, to add that for cash, um, we've calculated that for the Wall Street banks, an average of 24 in one every $100 is touching fossil fuels or broader uh, carbon intensive industries, which means essentially 25% uh, of your dollars are going towards carbon intensive industries. And, you know, as Andy has said, investments are something that we are so unaware of for the most part. There do exist, however, certain kinds of ways to think about divestment, getting out of fossil fuel um, industries and companies, uh, although that is a very complicated thing to do. For cash, at least in the US, there are very few restrictions on how banks can use discretionary cash. So it becomes what we say fungible, $1 here can go to another dollar, um, can count for another dollar elsewhere, meaning that we have very little control over how our money uh, is used once we give it to a bank for safekeeping. That was exactly what I was going to ask. So thank you for clarifying, Vanessa. So it's for like your retirement and investments, it's about 8% going to fossil fuels, whereas your cash or like savings, when it goes to those banks, they're putting about 25% of it, lending that to fossil fuels. Yes, or underwriting, if you're being technical, financing fossil fuels. Um, I want to add that that is for the Wall Street banks specifically, the six largest banks in the US and the world. Um, this is not the case for banks such as Atmos, um, which Ravi can speak further about. And it's why we draw the distinction between brown banks and greener banks. And we at Bank Forward are working with many partners 
to make it easier to understand where your bank sits in that range, just as Andy has done incredible and pioneering work to highlight what goes into your nebulous 401k. There has never before been a way to understand how many of our actual dollars a bank is putting towards something carbon intensive um, from the cash perspective. So just prior to coming on this uh, uh, podcast, we are proud to have launched our initial prototype for an individual calculator you can use um, to estimate the emissions associated with the dollars you hold in the top six largest banks and compare that to what your footprint would be and how many emissions you could save if you were to move some or all of that money to a greener bank like Atmos. I'm just gonna just comment that, um, so ASUSO has been filing resolutions, engaging all of the big banks since 2016, uh, which was when the Dakota Access Pipeline happened. And we we got involved in it because they were, basically it was funded, the, the pipeline was funded by all the big banks. And we, as shareholders, we went and said, look, you know, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan City, your brand is now associated with running the pipeline across sacred indigenous land and, you know, putting attack dogs and fire hoses on indigenous people who are saying that, you know, you're harming their, not only their water supplies, but their sacred land. And it was the first time the banks, they've always just said, nah, you know, we gave this, you know, we, we funded this thing. We did a, we wrote a bond. We underwrote a bond. Um, that's not our thing. We're like, no, your brand is actually associated with every loan you make, every insurance company with any underwriting of insurance, because you can't do a fossil fuel extraction project without, um, without the insuring un underwriting. And so we started that conversation with them, this whole idea of, of just that, that, that association which we called financed emissions. So we've been talking to them and now the banks all started to now report on their financed emissions. What percentage of their loans are going to what? So you can actually start to see emissions related to both banks and um, insurance companies. We just added a tab to fossil-free funds. Fossil-free funds is one of the branches of investor values where you, up across the top, you can click on it and you will now see all the banks within the mutual fund and and all the financed emissions for each of those banks and also every insurance company that you own a piece of and all their financed emissions. So you actually can see all that data now. It's clear we update it once a month. And so, but just disclosure is really critically important. And the banks have now come around to, to actually um, starting to disclose in a much more full way through shareholder pressure. That's awesome. Um, jump in one real quick bit of disclosure, legal disclaimer. We are not a bank. Uh, so Atmos Financial, we're a software company. We work with banks, uh, but we are not allowed to call ourselves a bank. Um, we offer FDIC insured banking accounts. So if you open an account with Atmos, you are getting a standard bank account. Uh, but as an unregulated financial entity, we are not held to the same um, diversification requirements that a bank has. So we can have 100% climate positive impact with our dollars because we 
set agreements with the banks that we work with that we bring in deposits and then they have to use 100% of the deposits that we bring to them for these purposes. So, yeah. So as, as you heard from Vanessa, 24% of your money at uh, one of those big Wall Street banks may fund, you know, or, or is funding fossil fuel extraction and combustion. Uh, and so then they're also doing commercial real estate. They mo- may hold your mortgage. That's a great thing. So they have to have all of these different things for diversification and risk perspectives. And the same thing holds true for community banks and credit unions, but on a smaller scale. So community banks and credit unions may be fossil free. And we use that term generally in the space to basically say every bank and financial entity that's not one of the big Wall Street banks are not big enough to fund the Dakota Access Pipeline, the Keystone XL Pipeline, other coal mines, et cetera. But they are still funding fossil fuel combustion for the most part through, you know, you get an auto loan to to get a Hummer to go buy your groceries. That's quite a bit of fossil fuels. It's the fossil fuels used in a home uh, or in a business. And so we want you know, all of these, you know, as we're trying to transform these banks and credit unions to be you know, climate positive and to become climate banks, uh, we'll move them in that direction. So there's this, you'll see, and that's also being used as a bit of greenwashing by some of the larger banks that are coming in and saying, hey, we're fossil free. And then you see the you know one through five different asterisks and other terms. It's like, well, actually, what we mean is we're not funding oil drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge or the worst type of coal extraction, but we still fund this type of fossil fuels because we don't think it's quite as bad. So uh, be wary of claims of fossil free uh, and what you want is that your money is actually not just funding fossil fuel extraction, but actually going towards this transition. So look to to find where your money can uh, fund clean energy, walkable cities, environmental justice. Just to um, add on to that, uh, there's also an issue around, again, I keep going back to mutual funds. You could see a fund that's called an ESG fund. In fact, we did a study looking at 90 mutual funds with ESG in their name. 60 of those got a D or an F from us on ESG. And the reason for this is because the way the SEC has fund naming set up, they have what we call the 80-20 rule. It was established so that if you had a large cap equity fund, it was 80% large cap equities. You might have 20% in cash or something. So clever people at Vanguard said, oh, so we could have a fossil free fund that's 19% coal. Cool. Indeed, we, we sued them about it. Uh, we lost because that's the rule. Now, this study that we did, we brought to the SEC, which was part of their, there's a, there's a rule that should be coming out hopefully any minute um, that will force the uh, mutual funds to make sure their name matches the prospectus and the prospectus matches the holdings. Because what our study showed after we did a, a deep analysis of all these 90 funds with ESG in the name, the conclusion was, and we were working with these four data scientists down in UCSB doing all of this work, the bottom line, the, uh, the language in the prospectus had no correlation with the holdings. You could have the same prospectus for a company that got an A from us, which meant it was really fossil free, or an F. So be very careful. you got to use 
that's why we built this tool because there is no actual truth in the naming in the prospectus language it's all very it needs a lot of it needs regulation but the sec is stepping up there'll be a new fund naming rule soon there's also going to be a new climate disclosure rule coming soon which this is going to sound amazing companies when they disclose their greenhouse gas emissions have to be accurate and everybody's all up in arms about what this is the end of capitalism the companies have to tell the truth well, not only they have to tell the truth, it's got to be verified in a standardized format. So like you would disclose financial information that goes into an audit, greenhouse gas information is, is material. Material means you use this information to make a buy or sell decision. So the SEC is saying, yeah, you've got to be honest and create trust. But a lot of people are very opposed to this rule. It's uh, become part of this whole anti-ESG, anti-woke uh, crusade that's been going on with greater, greater intensity, uh, saying that this new rule, it literally will destroy capitalism to have honest disclosure. So we can talk about that more too later. Mm -hmm. Sounds like my kind of capitalism. Uh, Vanessa, did you have something else to add and then we'll switch gears? Yeah. Sure. I, I mean, I was just going to actually sort of take a bit of a step back from the great points that Ravi and Andy are bringing up about the difficulty in parsing through the terminology now used in what we call sustainable finance, whether it's ESG or sustainable finance, which can mean some things entirely unrelated to the environment, um, whether it's net zero, um, et cetera. Uh, uh, there is a lot of terminology that's very intimidating when you are wading into this space. From where I sit and what I'd hope a key takeaway can be from this um, conversation is that while the data is still evolving because reporting is in its early stages, transparency is low, um, as you hear from Andy, a lot of actors are not acting in great faith about providing the information needed to make informed decisions, then what we are still able to establish is key differences between key actors. This gets to a question that Chidi has posted in the chat about the quality of data. We are still figuring out how to measure these things, but here's what we know. We know that financing fossil fuels is worse than not financing fossil fuels. We know that financing new fossil fuel projects is incompatible with achieving Paris Agreement alignment in a 1.5 degree world. We know that uh, continuing financing and allocating 25% of your resources to old energy, rather than channeling some great amount of that money towards green finance is in effect antiquated, not as good as allocating more towards green energy. So what we are doing is parsing through data to look at who's funding what deal and what project and establishing who is putting their money where their mouth is and who is not. And we have ratios. We can come up with estimates that give us a good sense of where banks and other financial institutions sit relative to one another. We may not have an exact measure, but we know 
what the good actors are, where the bad actors are, and what lies in between. And that's where we're coming from in this world. It's a new world of uh, early data. But I hope everyone can take away from the fact that uh, what you have a chance to look for in a bank is actually something um, that is additive and not um, extractive, essentially, from our world. Thanks, Vanessa. Thanks for, for adding that. Um, we're going to switch gears into solutions. Um, and what actions can we take? And what are the impact of those actions? Um, and before we make that switch, I also just want to like really acknowledge and thank the three of you for the incredible work that you've done on establishing like this kind of infrastructure to support the bigger infrastructure changes that need to happen. It's really incredible. Um, so this question is for everyone, um, but I'll, I'll kind of aim it to Ravi to begin. Um, what can people and organizations do to both change their money's impact and the system overall, the financial system overall? Yeah. I mean, start to move your money. Um, like I said, it's a uh, 90 seconds to apply for an Atmos account, uh, and we can approve yeah, pretty much everyone that's on this call, you know, would would get approved. It's uh, we just basically need to verify identity and be over eighteen, uh, and have a U.S. tax ID, and then we can open an account for you, and then start moving your money. And don't try and do it all at once. Um, that's what it blocks everyone. You're like, okay. I need a 16-hour block of uninterrupted time so that I can move every... Nobody has that. So we say, open up, you know, if you get an Atmos account, spend, you know, two minutes to open the account, spend another five minutes, move over your savings, and then once it lands, then you get, you, you can move a little bit into checking, get a your debit card number, and then as you're going about your business over the next six months and you're like, hey, I'm logging into Netflix. Oh, let me change out uh, from my my Chase to my Atmos card or I'm logging into this other site and then you you do it. So it, it's more easeful um, and you're not looking for this phantom block of, uh, of time that we just all don't have. Um, and we embed these purchases uh, where we pay our our mortgage, our rent, all of these different things are tied up into our banking. So it's so enmeshed in our daily life that it's very hard to extract and, and take out. So do what you can because just like every one hundredth of a degree that we stop matters. Like we get there by moving every one hundredth of a dollar over. So every cent that you move over is going to be used towards financing this transition, uh, and it's. You know, uh, John Foley, the executive director of Project Donna, says it great. Uh, is a really great phrase. Is time is as important as technology. So the the more we do now is just as important as the new types of solar panels, as these EVs. So do more now. Um, Ravi, I I have one quick follow up, and I know hmm. I've asked this to you before. I'm, I hope you're open to sharing, but I think of Atmos as kind of the leader in this space, but who else is kind of in the arena and is anyone else at hundred percent 
climate solutions with people's money or anyone close to it? Like, how do you think of the the leaders in this space other than Atlas? Yeah. So we are the only 100% climate positive banking option in the US. Um, we, you know, we are the we are the leader. We are the ones that are putting the most out there. In as as a percentage basis, like if you compare us to Chase, the the leader in fossil fuel funding, they've funded more solar than we have because they're a three and a half trillion dollar company, and they move their coffee budget over, and it's a billion dollars. Like so, they just do bigger numbers than us. Um, but we're on their heels. We're we're going as quickly as possible to grow. Uh, Beyond us, then the next is Clean Energy Credit Union. Uh, they're uh, in Colorado. They're a, a credit union, and they are funding solar, EVs, e-bikes, uh, and, and they are as close to, or they are maybe also 100%. I haven't really dug into their numbers. Vanessa may actually have a better breakdown from them. Um, Climate First Bank uh, down in Florida. Also great, they're a de novo community bank. But uh, if you look at their um, their reporting, they are regulated. So they have commercial accounts, they have personal accounts. So they also have to do conventional commercial lending. So they're not 100% climate positive, but they're the best of the community banks. So they're leading the pack there and, and pushing things forward. Um, I know uh, amalgamated, uh, though they're a values aligned bank they started out of a workers union uh in new york about a hundred years ago so their focus has been more on the workers rights versus uh renewable energy and the climate transition but they're doing a lot more in that regard now and you know everyone needs to balance the impact that they want to have with their own banking needs so it's like move over what you can but if you need to do international transfers or something else complicated that you need one of these Wall Street banks for, keep as little with them as possible to maintain that functionality uh, while the, the, most, the majority of your money is financing this transition. Um, but don't move everything to us and then you know, suddenly find out that we don't have checkbooks. That's, we state that we're, like, we're a digital bank. We don't have branches. We don't offer checkbooks. Might come next year, but it might not. Like, keep taking care of your life while moving as much as you can to here. Um, but those are the, the four. I know Bank of the West, uh, they've put out a whole bunch of marketing. They want to do more. They were owned by BNP Paribas. They're like the number sixth or 11th in fossil fuel funding. They were just sold by BNP to BMO Harris. Slightly lower on the list, but number one funder of tar sands in country. But Bank of the West also has a renewable energy lending division that's getting going. So they're going to be doing more in this to regard. Um, yeah, those are the ones how I'd rank. Appreciate that. Um, and Andy, I know you touched on this a bit already, but I've been a, a big fan of As You So's fossil free funds tool for like years now. Um, do you want to talk a little bit more if there's anything you didn't cover yet on just like how that helps people gain transparency and what, in what ways they can use it specifically? Sure. I, I just wanted to 
uh, Rachel was going to ask all three of us about solutions. I just, do you want me to do my, my solution? Yeah. I'm jumping the gun. Please, okay. everyone should answer that question first. Okay. Um, yeah. So yeah. Um, what, when asked this, I the first thing to do is look in a mirror and see an empowered person. You have so much more power than you realize. I've said this a few times already. When you go into work, look at your company. Does your company have a climate transition plan? Does your company's, is your company's CEO making 2,000 times the median worker? Like, Take a look at where you're working. And um, also look at your 401k plan. If it doesn't align with your values, then you, chances are if you use invest your values, which means go just type in the um, the mutual fund ticker, you'll see. And you might find in the 15 funds that they offer you, one that is very lower carbon, just gets a, a B instead of an F. You can literally in seconds just click and say, I want to move my money into that. I can tell you in the case of like Amazon, Compared to the target date fund, they have one sustainable fund. It's called the Vanguard FTSE Social Index. It outperforms the target date fund by five percentage points over the last 10 years. So you also make a lot more money. That was just a click. You're done. So that just is going to help your own footprint. Um, Organize your workers. I mentioned that. We have all the tools available. Get them to go into the office of the uh, you know, at HR, because they will start to add actual real fossil-free funds, funds, deforestation funds, without funds without weapons, funds without prisons, private prisons. It's a huge thing. Most people are making a ton of money from mass incarceration. Um, but also, how do you spend your money? There's now ways you can, which kind of sneakers do you buy? Like, look at the companies, look at their ratings and rankings. If you're going to compare Nikes and Adidas, pick the ones that are more sustainable. Um, where you shop, all those things, they all, these all really, they aggregate up into, into immense change. I mean, you know, what Robbie was saying about it's, you know, it may look like little, but when it happens as a part of a movement, it actually is incredibly significant. So it's really that it's like when you come back after doing those couple of things and you look back in the mirror, you're going to look like the Hulk. I mean, you're going to look like, you know, pumped up and, and that's truly the case. You just don't realize that you think you're Bruce Banner, but you are actually the Hulk. And it's just a matter of unleashing that. So it's, it's not difficult. It's just, and I think also what Robbie said is step at a time. Don't try to do it all at once, but you can have a big impact. You really can. Yeah. One jumping on just like the one doing a little thing. So we offer a higher savings yield, um, so you come in, you get 1.2%. If you make a donation of at least a dollar a month, you we double that to 2.4%. Not market leading, but it's great compared to. So that most people only do a dollar a month, the bare minimum. And so it started off with me and my co-founder, like we were the dollars a month. Like it was, you know, um, that, and then it, it, it's grown. Last month we donated our, our customers donated over $20,000. So we're now doing, it's like going from a few dollars a month. Now we're doing $20,000, $30,000 a month uh, to various climate nonprofits. And these are not just the Sierra clubs who have million dollar budgets. These are, some of these are small local ones. So it's, it's very meaningful, which it's like, Hey, you're supporting another person in a community to have real activist impact. Um, so just a dollar a month, sound like an infomercial for just a dollar a month, you can help support, you know, real climate impact. 
I just got my uh, Atmos climate impact statement today. So that was a wonderful uh, benefit of my day. Um, I'll just sort of jump in in terms of solutions to help, again, people who are facing a lot of info coming at them sort of have a few frameworks for thinking about this. I think um, in order, we want to change bank behavior to move them away and not just banks, investors um, and the like, move them away from fossil fuels. So to change bank behavior, we have to understand why banks behave the way they do or traditionally have. They want to minimize risk and they want to minimize three types of risk, financial risk, uh, regulatory risk and reputational risk essentially. And when you are thinking about what to do, think about ways you can engage on all fronts. Uh, on the regulatory front, we need companies first and foremost to start reporting what it is that they emit. Then we need to be able to put restrictions on what it is they fund and we, the list can go on. But the conversation ongoing now about um, policy issues like the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, and their forthcoming uh, risk disclosure rules, which will cite climate. Um, other entities like the Greenhouse Gas Protocol, which is reviewing its positions and reporting now. And incidentally, we do have a sign-on letter for that, for those who would like them to clarify their stance on climate risk, particularly with regard to investments, um, et cetera. Then if you want to hit banks where it hurts financially, as well as reputationally, you can move your money and tell them why you're doing that. And as Ravi says, doesn't happen overnight. There are no big banks that are good climate actors for the most part in the US. There are middle, mid-sized banks and there are smaller banks or financial entities like Atmos, um, but they're you are going to find some services that will be hard to source. And this is going to be a bit of a puzzle until we convince one big bank that it's in their interest to change. And then we'll start to see a race to the top. Um, but we also have to change the way we think about our money. And we think about money as an agent of change in usually two ways, where we invest our money. And Andy has pioneered so much of that thinking and where we donate our money the world of philanthropy. But what I really want people to leave here thinking about is where we bank might actually have more of an impact than certainly where we donate and be somewhat on par with where we invest, depending on how we hold cash or invest. Banks have the highest rate or among the highest rates of customer loyalty of almost any industry. And this means that people get stuck because it's hard to move banks. So if you know people who are looking for a new bank, or if you can open a protest account or call it a secondary account or third and put just a little bit of money and start to move over, these are the ways we go forward. And always couple that with a tweet or a private letter or a public letter. Some Let the banks know, give them feedback that you are moving for reasons motivated by their unacceptable behavior on climate. Uh, we have more specific actions to take, but I'll, I'll stop there. Can I say one more in this? Um, so people also, you, know, you have 
probably a lot of people in the audience have at least some shares of equities that you hold directly, not through a mutual fund. Because mutual fund right now, there's they're being voted, your proxies are being voted by the at by the asset manager. Now, there's a movement to break that up, to break up the power and to distribute those out. It's called pass-through voting. It's starting to happen. And, and actually, As You So has a voting service called As You Vote, um, which we do with institutional investors. So institutional investors, they can go to the Broadridge, it's called the Proxy Edge platform. They can click on As You Vote and we vote everything for them. And um, so we vote tens of thousands of, of items every proxy season. We're also starting to work with some of these new startups that are doing pass-through voting. And in the next, probably about two weeks from now, we're going to be having our platform at part of this a group called Iconic, I-C-O-N-I-K, that will enable retail investors. If you have your 10 shares of Apple and your 10 shares of Google, um, you could sign up and you could literally click on as you vote and we'll vote everything in a very highly ESG aligned way. Uh, so just just be aware that you're voting. That right now, 30% of most companies are held by retail and nobody votes. There are very, very few vote. That 30% could make or break an election for a board of directors. That could change the board. That could be on climate resolutions. If they become majorities, that becomes a pressure point for the company to get a climate transition plan. So realize your power as a shareholder. I know it's People say, oh, God, I get these things in the mail, these proxy statements. I don't know what to do with them. We're making going to make it one click easy for you. And uh, we're, we're in that process. Literally, we're a couple of weeks away. Amazing. That's super exciting. Um, Vanessa, I've got another one for you more through the, the corporate lens. So I think it's much easier for people to switch their own money. But I know after reading the carbon bankroll report that, you know, companies have crazy amounts of money. And as an employee, how do you recommend getting your company to switch money? And then I also know that some companies have so much money that smaller or mid-sized banks wouldn't be able to kind of handle them. And so what can companies do in that situation? to help move their bank and or the financial system just in the right direction. So just from this employee corporate lens, what are the actions to take? Um, I love this question. Employees can actually have a really big impact in this particular area. And we've seen a lot of progress in this area um, thanks to groups like Project Drawdown as well as um, Climate Voice has done a fair amount on this, and we love engaging with employees from a number of different companies. Um, it's true. Companies have huge amounts of cash, and they Apple has more cash than most banks, and what they do with it can have a huge difference. But because they are sometimes larger than or as large as or nearly as large as banks, moving it around is not easy. There are two steps to take. The first is to ensure that you are, your company is looking at its banking and its investing, its financed emissions as part of its sustainability plan. For especially the large technology companies, companies that have made a net zero commitment have a responsibility to publish a sustainability plan and have a plan to achieve their goals. We want to see every sustainability plan 
have a plan to reduce financed emissions as well. And this starts with a meeting with the sustainability team, but we hope very quickly it will escalate or go up to the finance team, which often is left out of conversations about sustainability. We have a resource uh, we can share that helps sustainability actors and employees talk to their sustainability teams first and then their finance teams about why this is an important issue. And it also includes a guide for the kinds of questions you will want your finance team and sustainability team to ask their bank. What is it that you need to know to assess and also to show your bank that you do care and that you are paying attention because accountability is so low for banks on climate issues that uh, they need to know people are watching. So starting to socialize the idea in your company is important. Then there are actions like asking your company to support or at least not obstruct key regulatory efforts on reporting, to report their emissions. Currently, financed emission reporting, which means what the impact, the climate impact of your money, whether invested or simply banked, is not required reporting or even recommended reporting, which means that nobody does it. This is an important step to advance. And as long as employees are making it known, they expect their companies to report on that, that's good. And then they expect them to support the SEC and the Greenhouse Gas Protocol in tightening, clarifying, and leveling up their regulations so that we actually get a fair picture of what they're trying to do, which is measure emissions. Uh, we have a sign-on letter for the Greenhouse Gas Protocol that you can ask your company to sign on to. We currently have multiple tech companies uh, looking at this and signing, and we would love to see that. Then there are uh, conversations you can have with your companies about moving some of their assets. Many of you might uh, have heard that in the aftermath of the height of the Black Lives Matter movement over the summer two years ago, Netflix moved money from its key banking relationships into smaller banks that were active in lower income and uh, communities of color. That was done in partnership with one of our partners, C-Note, which is a network of CDFIs that we are hoping to expand a partnership with to measure not only their social impact, but their climate impact. Netflix couldn't move all of its money, but it moved some. And they made a lot of noise about that in the PR world. Some people don't realize that they only moved some. That's a good start to be accountable on that front. If you can urge your company to do that, we're getting somewhere. And then simply convince them not to be scared of their bank. They are clients and they need to be let it be known that companies are actually on the hook for this. If they have made a net zero commitment and if reporting requirements go in the direction we know they are going, which will mean eventually financed emissions reporting will be standard practice, companies will soon have to report their standard emissions, which means their banking relationships are going to matter for whether or not they can successfully reach their net zero goals. And even if that isn't reported now, we are putting out 
carbon bankroll reports, which will report for them <laughs> based on our best estimations. Um, this means they're on the hook for this and they have to sit down with their banks because they cannot achieve their net zero goals that they have publicly committed to without first addressing their banking relationships. And as employees, you can talk to your company and let them know, again, this public this information is out there and um, it matters. Recruiting matters to these big companies. It is a um, big point of focus. We hear this over and over again from big banks as well as big tech companies and younger generations do care where their companies stand on climate. It's too easy for companies to greenwash now about what they're doing, but over time, we will get the message out. Fantastic. Thank you all so much. Um, just, just a note, I put it in the chat, but yeah. if you were doing that, I just went, look, because I know we analyzed the Netflix 401k plan, and they get an F for private prisons. So while they're doing one thing, it's this cognitive dissonance. Is how do you get a company to actually be comprehensive and what they're doing operationally to reflect it in where the money goes? So you know, you've got everyone works at Netflix is making money off of mass incarceration, off of literally the manifestation of racist policy. And yet it's great that they're putting some money into local banks, but they need to do the whole thing. And that's that's I think the big issue is this this coherence, this actually having a holistic set of sustainability and justice goals that they then apply across operations, their banking, their 401k, and, you know, and how they treat their employees. So that's, that's what's lacking. Everybody just sort of sections off the money. Oh, don't worry. We can't look at the money. It's somehow that can be invested in the extractive economy, but we're going to do all this other good stuff over here and convincing them as employees and as their customers. No, you actually you have to do the whole thing. Um, that's, I think we're at that point now where they're starting to actually listen to that and hear that. Um, I would like to see the movement go to a place where we don't talk about net zero emissions. We're talking about net climate finance. Right now we talk about negative climate finance, what money goes into fossil fuel or carbon intensive sectors versus positive climate finance, what money goes into clean energy and climate solutions. These conversations happen too much in isolated in isolation from each other, which means we're actually not looking, just as Andy has said, at um, what the investments and 401k plans are doing, even if we're looking at something like banking, or if we're looking at our operational sustainability and our corporate philanthropy, but not looking at anything on the finance side. So again, the takeaway here has to be that we have to ultimately have net positive climate finance, which is not where we are. If one out of every 20, uh, if, if uh, 24 out of every $100 is going on average to a carbon intensive sector, then every smaller percentage that we give to philanthropy, that we are investing for our futures in our 401k plans or other benefits, is dramatically undermined. Likewise, if we're putting our savings in a bank and giving some small part of our income, even if we're exceedingly generous towards climate nonprofits as part of our annual giving, we are dramatically undercutting ourselves. 
we need five times more positive climate finance globally in, uh, to reach our global goals, as Ryan opened saying. And that's probably a very low estimate, which means that we can't afford to be undercutting ourselves at um, such a high rate. So we need this net climate finance conversation. And as Andy says, finance changes the calculation every single time and fractional amounts are a place to start. But unless you're doing it holistically, it's not going to make a dent. Mm, yeah, thanks to both of you for bringing in that systems thinking perspective too, right? Because like the private prison industry and our culture of mass incarceration is not at all disconnected from the climate crisis, right? Those those are interlocking and mutually supportive problems. Um, so thanks for, for bringing that in. Um, we are gonna shift to the Q&A portion here. Um, so if y'all have questions, please pop them in the chat. Um, but I will start uh, with a question um, that's kind of directed at the three of you in terms of your target audiences, but I think maybe there's also some wisdom for all of us to glean here in terms of um, how we might talk about this with different people in, in our lives that are, you know, a part of different generations or a part of, uh, you know, different um, just parts of the world, right? Um, so the question is about who are your target customers for kind of convincing to take this shift to green finance? Um, and how do you think about, you know, the, the different generations in terms of, you know, Gen Z or millennials maybe um, having a, a higher percentage of wanting to invest that way, but also having lower wealth, right? And and Gen X and, and boomers having having higher wealth and kind of, you know, punching at a, at a higher weight in terms of the actual money that they have to, to move around. Um, so how are you all thinking about that? Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, this is a very obvious uh, place where people think that that's the customer base that we're going after. It's like, oh, go after Gen Z and, and young millennials. And while we have 18-year-olds, we also have 87-year-olds uh, who have Atmos accounts with us. Um, our average age is really it's like early 40s. Um, so we have a very broad spectrum of customers. We have customers in all 50 states, plus DC and Puerto Rico that have accounts with us and are moving their money. Um, we have Democrats, we have Republicans, we have independents. Uh, it, it sits across the, the spectrum. Um, and and so it's, it's really, you, you get people on, on different values. It's like overall, uh, slightly different reasons. And we also don't just offer the feature set. So a lot of other digital banks focus on younger generations and their feature set focuses on them. But we offer wires, we offer other services that uh, a more established banking customer would want. And so that's why we're getting them to move over. Um, so we have people buying homes, we have people making investments from their Atmos accounts, uh, and we support that. And so I think it's less about the interest in climate. It's about how do we serve the financial needs of a broader base of customers? 
So if we only produce uh, sort of colorful and comic book-like apps uh, that are going after the millennials, we're not going to get the more security-conscious 50-some-year-old that's moving over hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, but if we have a security-conscious app that has the peer-to-peer -peer sharing and some of the other impact and storytelling apps, we will get those 18 to 24-year-olds moving over their money as well. I'd like to give a shout out to um, the co-founder of Bang Forward, who is on this call now, Peter Gilcase, because this was literally an exercise that we did when we started. Peter is a fifth generation member of the Rockefeller family, and he began Bang Forward with several of his cousins to organize the family, both older and younger generations, to collectively move as much of their wealth as possible, as well as institutional wealth for up to uh, 13 of the Rockefeller affiliated institutions to different banks and also to use their collective power with the banks to uh, try to influence policy. The messaging had to be tailored for different groups. The younger generations were understandably more excited or uh, predictably, but had not yet inherited much wealth. Whereas the older generations, including um, one, uh, the generations two before, had actually been a CEO at Chase Bank um, and uh, had more studied and perhaps um, re reservations about moving or what could be done. Um, ultimately, the message that rings true is that nobody likes to be lied to. And right now, banks are telling us that they are going green. And in fact, they are either not changing at all or getting worse. That rings true with everyone. Number two, people want their money. They want to have the impact they are trying to have. And for those that we began working with, uh, because high net wealth individuals were often unorganized versus younger uh, millennials and Gen Z, we worked with those individuals, many of whom were generous in their lives as philanthropists and focused very much on climate. But in fact, we're finding that their relationship with banks like JP Morgan Chase were undermining their philanthropy by multiples of five or more. Those are points that people care about. If even if you're young, this is something, of course, that rings true with you. So we adjust our services and our messages. But the point here is we're not going to get people excited about the carbon intensity levels of every dollar based on which exact sectors they are um, and the emissions that stem from these. The data matters, but it's just not as sexy as talking about whether or not you want to get a Tesla, even though Elon Musk is crazy. Like the, these are not the questions that are going to necessarily drive our climate conversation, but we need to communicate the point that our money matters. Cash is not neutral. Our retirement is inter, um, intrinsically connected with our climate future. And if we can get that point across and make people more, more conscious consumers, we can get more policy through that will push through uh, expectations and regulations to make banks be better actors. So 
as you so is a 501c3 nonprofit, we don't really have clients or customers or anything like that. So um, we work across a spectrum when we're filing shareholder resolutions, we're speaking mostly to institutional investors, but also proxy advisors, anyone who owns shares in the company. If you own shares in the company, you have to remember the board reports to you. You have a responsibility to help the board develop strategy and the board will then incentivize the executives to execute the strategy. So that's your role as a shareholder, even if you own one share. So anyone who's a shareholder, we consider to be part of our constituency. Uh, people who own mutual funds, we are more doing an educational work to try to help people realize, uh, you know, what's in their, you know, what, what's in their portfolio. What do they, what what is their power? And as this whole pass-through voting starts to happen, we're going to be empowering them to vote. We're going to be empowering them to decide, pick different types of investments. So um, that's, and and based on our polling, that is a lot of, of um, you know, the younger millennials certainly are, based on our polling, 99% of them want to invest sustainably, uh, 80% of women, that's 72% overall. So that's the whole constituency of that of people who own individual shares, you know, there's a lot of folks who are just buying individual shares on Robinhood and all of these different apps. We're trying to get them empowered to vote and not just vote on that one resolution, but vote for the boards, vote for the audit. But that's why we're trying to make a one-click solution because, um, you know, particularly with pass-through voting, if you own a target date fund, a fund of funds, you own about 2,000 companies, which means you got to make about 25,000 decisions each proxy season. No one's going to do that, but we can do that for you with one click. So um, again, so we're working on that. Uh, so anyway, we, we cover kind of a range of, of different ages because everyone has different levels of, of power to shape the future. This is a moment in time that has never, I mean, I got to say, 10 years ago, it was like a log jam, getting stuff done. I was like, uh, you know, log jam has opened. We didn't know it was white water rafting on the other side of it. So we're kind of just trying to keep from flipping over. But um, but the work that's happening, the, the changes that are possible right now, um, we see entire sectors shifting through just through leadership of a couple of companies that go, yeah, you know, Kellogg, they said, we're not going to spray all of our wheat, oats, and beans with glyphosate, a carcinogen anymore. You know, within two years, 12 other companies started doing that. General Mills on regenerative ag, you see a leader, a company leads and all the other ones follow because customers shift money, the finance, the investors shift. So we're, you know, really in this moment of creating a whole new economy. And and that's an exciting moment. I think everybody here is is participating in it. Everyone has a role in this, and we can shape it. It's kind of rare that you know you're in this time in history when you can actually shape what the, what the future could be. And it can believe me, there are forces that are trying to stop it from happening. These are very regressive thinking forces that want it to go not only stay where it is, but go back in time. They want a you know, a uh, extractive industries. They want more fossil fuels. They're trying to drive women off of boards. It's, you know, it's, um, we've made a lot of progress, but nowhere near enough. And that's why there's so much of a threat that's happening 
you know, now, and they're trying to stop it. And that's what this whole anti-ESG crusade is about. So I know we're running out of time here. I see a bunch of questions. Um, I just want to say we will do our best to get them all answered. We'll send like a follow-up email. Uh, but hopefully we can get one or two more in and then then we'll be respectful of people's time. Maybe one more. Um, and so the next one up is just in addition to asking directly, are there any ways or tools to check whether a, a local credit union is good on fossil fuel investments? Basically, if they're local credit union, they're pretty good. Like it, it, it's if they're local community bank, local credit union, they're pretty they're going to be good. Community banks may have funded depending on where you are in the country, like there may be backyard oil wells. And like that was how we got our oil 50, 100 years ago. Um, but for the most part, they're going to be good. Like they just aren't big enough to fund fossil fuel projects. Fossil fuel loans are billions of dollars. Um, that's not usually where uh, community credit unions are playing. Um, they will have exposure. Um, unfortunately, housing is also, and buildings are a large uh, source of emissions. And so mortgage business is certainly something to be mindful of. Um, and low-income housing in particular um, for older housing. That said, um, that's the area where we need money flowing in for renovations, uh, not money pulling out. So keep that in mind, but I do recommend a, a group called CNOTE, which does a, a lot of work with networks of CDFIs and Bank Forward does have a project in the works to uh, actually be able to calculate more of the climate impact for those groups so that there's actually more robust data there that helps make the case to companies about what they can save emission-wise as well as the increased social impact they can have by moving more and more of their money to these groups. So keep, stay tuned. Yeah. Awesome. And as an unregulated, so unregulated financial entity, since we work with a bank as our sponsor, um, when we were doing our initial research, one of the ones that was recommended to us that likes working with companies like ours, the fintech companies, uh, they were started by an oil company. Like, and so we pass. Like, so they've got a huge exposure on fossil fuel financing, even though they're one of the small, like they're a, a small community bank or regional bank. Um, so there are some that have more exposure than others. So as, as Vanessa said, just take a look, ask. They say, it's like, we you look at the history page of their website because it's like, we were started by an oil company. We, you know, we get our roots out of community activism. They will tell you where they come from and what they do. Awesome. Thank you. Um, I think we do have to wrap on the Q&A there. Again, we'll do our best to get questions answered if you asked one. Uh, I just want to give our panelists here the final word. So do you have any final messages or calls to action that you'd like to share with people listening? Sure. Um, we're building, you know, we like to say we offer no sacrifice banking, but this transition is no, no, not just no sacrifice. We're actually building a better world. The technologies that we're getting are more convenient. They offer more services to us. So start the process if you haven't already done so, uh, whether it's opening an account with Atmos, 
using as you show, using Bang Forward, use our tools, use others to begin your own transition to you know, better serve your life and your community and do what you can today, that which you can do tomorrow. Uh, I'll um, just say that uh, just talking to somebody about their bank once um, is helpful. Education is hugely important at this moment to motivate people to act. There is a big day of action being organized by several of the grassroots groups. Um, I saw somebody ask about it in the chat um, called uh, that is being organized by Bill McKibben and his group Third Act, which is largely seniors who do have some of these assets in their retirements. Um, it is inviting people to all engage with their bank and let them know that they're watching and or consider changing banks to institutions and entities like Atmos. Um, I encourage you all to check it out. It's March 21st, uh, 20, 32123 coming up. And we have developed this calculator in part as a tool and resource for folks that there so that they can actually figure out how much they can save emissions wise and the difference they can make by considering a change of some or all of their money. So share that socially if you can, and um, certainly participate. And I'll just conclude by saying, know what you own, understand that you are have amazing amounts of power and and learn how to use them because your, your money is your power. Everything you buy, how you bank, how you invest uh, has a major impact on the future. Amazing. Thank you all so much. Um, and we will be providing resources and info and support on this day of action coming up. So stay tuned. We're very excited about this month um, and getting people active in that way. Uh, so yeah, thank you again for being with us today. This was awesome. Um, thank you for the amazing work that the three of you and your teams are doing to help, you know, fix our financial system and build a better world. And thank you to everyone who, who tuned in today. Um, really appreciate you being here and the actions you're thinking of taking or have already started to take. Um, and just a reminder, if you're here with us live, there will be links in the follow-up email to all these great organizations and tools. And if you're listening to this afterwards, they'll be in the description um, or the show notes. Uh, so yeah, thank you again, everyone. This was fantastic. Appreciate you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for organizing, Ryan and Rachel. Thank, thank you, you very much, Ryan and Rachel. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Yeah. Bye -bye. Have a good right, one. Good okay. weekend.